These are very serious questions. The American people deserve serious answers, and I hope they come soon. Hi, and welcome to episode 222 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, good morning. Good morning. At, at, How are you? At 11.05 Eastern p.m. <laughs> eight, yeah, 8 o'clock. It's not even dark yet <laughs> where I am. Uh, well, That's why it feels like such a farce on my end. Yes. Well, you used to say good morning and good evening and covered all the bases. I know. I just felt a little too Truman-y. Mm-hmm. Truman, Truman, Truman Burbank-y. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's email show. Yep. We've got emails. Mm-hmm. You want to answer some of them? Yeah, let's do that. Great. So uh, first, before we get into the emails that we haven't read out loud, I, I want to go back to the one that we read to and had Kevin Goldstein answer yesterday because you and I didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And while Kevin's answer is good and probably better than ours, I also wanted to, to throw my two cents in. So uh, that was a question from Briley, uh, Briley, <laughs> Brian. He probably goes by uh, Briley. He might, which uh, was uh, basically if you had to draft a person – uh, he's talking about sons and nephews uh, of players being drafted. If you had to draft a person sight unseen based solely on his genealogy, from which gene pool would you select your player? And um, I, it sounds like he wants more broad terms, but I, I specifically want to know which player's son you would choose uh, sight unseen. And uh, you have to leave any information you might have out of it. Like, for instance, Tory Hunter's children are excellent athletes. Um, but they're in college, and we know they're excellent athletes. So let's not let's not choose any sons that we know are good, um, uh, and just uh, strictly on the player himself. Uh, whose child would you draft? Huh. Uh, okay. So and you can you can explain your rationale if you want, and uh, you can come up with a player at the end of that rationale if you don't have one in mind. Mm. You can talk your way through it. Well, his I mean his question about whether you want to go with a, a superstar or just kind of go with quantity of major leaguers over quality and, and right. go with a family like the Molinas or the Boons and just kind of, I guess, maximize your chances of of getting major league genes or something. I feel like it's almost a question that I would want to ask a geneticist or something. Like, are you more likely to to inherit the, the elite athleticism if you have more family members and more mm-hmm. ancestors who were elite athletes or... Or would you rather just have the one who was really, really good? Um, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the benefit, I guess, of of the bloodline is not just genes. It's about being. It's about growing up in major league clubhouses and and probably playing baseball from a young age and having an expert baseball player tutoring you and watching you and telling you what to do and all of those things. Uh, You're guessing. You're guessing. We don't actually know that. Yeah, I think we've right. we've debated that before. Yeah, it. I mean, it makes sense that I think it would be a, a nature and nurture thing. Um, Probably. But I guess that doesn't change it a whole lot. I mean, if we're if we're talking about a a father who is an elite athlete, then I guess you're getting as much instruction as you would get probably having say two uncles who were baseball players or something. So I don't know that it. That that affects it that much, so it's really just: do you want the superstar, or do you do you want the the genes of more more people in your lineage who were baseball players? And I don't know. I guess I guess I'd go with the elite guy, uh, and so I guess I would just want to take the the most freakishly good baseball player, assuming that that there's nothing I know about him that would 
make me think he's a bad character guy or, or for some reason that you'd inherit bad makeup or you wouldn't be instructed as well by him. So I don't know. I guess why wouldn't you go with Bryce Harper or Mike Trout or something? Yeah, I guess uh, one thing I would want to know is uh, I wish I could know how good on average the siblings of major leaguers are, the ones that we haven't ever heard of. Like, you know, if uh, you know, to, to give an example, if uh, Mike Trout has a brother, um, he doesn't play professional ball. I'd like to know, though, just how good he is, because I, I would want to know whether the three Drew brothers, for instance, or the two Boone brothers are statistically significant. Uh, if if that is meaningful that two of them made it to the majors or, um, you know, if it's just sort of to some degree random variation in whether most baseball players actually have, you know, good brothers who, who play, you know, into college uh, and, you know, maybe get drafted and play short season. Because there's not a huge difference between a guy who gets drafted and, and plays in A-ball and, and the majors, mm-hmm. uh, genetically speaking, right? I mean. Right. I mean, I would Bryce guess, Harper's I would guess, brother is a 23-year-old it, pitcher in A-ball, right? He's Exactly. And so to me, that's just as convincing as if Bryce Harper's brother was, um, you know, a, an average ball player. Or it's it's roughly as convincing. Mike Trout's dad, for instance, was a, you know, a minor leaguer. I think he played, I think he reached uh, maybe, maybe high A or double A. Um, and so to me, that's just as convincing a, a bloodline as, you know, the Ripkins or, or whatever the case may be. Um so that's how I would want to know whether to do the quantity or quality. And since we don't know that, uh, I guess I, I would take the, I, I, you know, I, th- I think I would, um, first off, I, I mean, is, has, who's the best player ever who's had a son make the majors? Uh, it, is it maybe Gwyn? Is it probably, is it Gwyn? Uh, or maybe, maybe Pete Rose? Uh, yeah. Tim Raines? Uh, I mean, the, the very, very, very top, I don't think, have produced a child. But, I mean, we're talking about 30 or 40 or maybe 60 guys who are ahead of Gwyn. So, you know, the, what are the odds that one would have? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I, so anyway, the point is, I think I would go, I think I would start with the body. I would start with things that are, uh, that have nothing to do with, with hitting and that are just unteachable. Uh, so I would want a guy who has... Uh, an incredible body, um, a very toolsy player. I would want a toolsy player's son. Mm-hmm. And uh, if possible, I would like a multi-sport star. If possible, I would like a guy with a good batting eye because that would tell me, I think, two things. One, his 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 eye, his vision. And two, I would probably use that maybe incorrectly as a proxy for baseball smarts. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would I thought a lot about this. I think I would want a lefty. Uh, because even though a left-handed thrower is limited in what positions he can play, he's going to have the platoon advantage, and I uh, and I would think that it's probably easier to have a natural lefty than to teach him to bat left-handed from a young age. Um, and you know, lefties make up a, a far higher percentage of baseball players, even at positions, than they do the general population. So uh, all that is a way of saying I would want um, probably Grady Sizemore. Uh, I would take Grady Sizemore's child, and I would just be gambling that the health stuff is not uh, genetic. That that there's nothing about his health. Hmm. Now, Why not I take did think Harper, who is also a freakish tools guy, who's a lefty and hasn't had Sizemore's health problems. Uh, well, um, because he was never a college quarterback, I guess. <laughs> okay. 
and I, I think Grady Sizemore was. I, my first thought was was Todd Helton, actually. Um, but I worry that he's uh, – I want a guy on the good end of the defensive spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, the other guy I thought about but I ultimately rejected simply because he didn't play baseball was John Elway. I thought John Elway might be a good one. But I worry that John Elway's got so much uh, you know, football in his bloodlines yes. that – John Elway Jr. might choose football if he were a two-sport star. Unless he wants to get out of his father's shadow. His way, uh, John Elway, uh, yeah. So uh, Grady Sizemore wasn't a college quarterback either. He w- he didn't go to college. I, I don't. Did I don't I don't remember. Did he? Um. He pl- I think he was some sort of a quarterback. I know he. I know he played some sort of quarterback. Grady Sizemore did not go to college. All right. So uh, maybe he was. He might have been recruited to like University of Washington or something like mm. that to to play quarterback, but you know what I'm yes. saying. Um, so yeah, I mean you could go with Harper. I got no problem with Harper, but I don't know Harper. Not I'm not I'm not sold. Yes, uh, Harper uh, Grady signed a letter of intent to play quarterback at the and that's where Google cuts off. <laughs> um, I'm not I'm not sold on Harper's makeup yet. I'm, I feel a lot better about it than I did two years ago, but I want to see him play 10 years before i i commit to that guy's uh father fathering ability yeah right that makes sense okay uh all right right. we have a question that one's done we can unstar that (laughs) yes that one got answered twice so that was special treatment uh this one's from steven hi simon ben less than three hours after the yankee game ended i guess this was a few days ago girardi announced that neither mariana rivera nor david robertson are available tomorrow while I find this helpful from a fantasy perspective, I can't for the life of me figure out the added value of telling an opponent what pitcher is and is not available for the next day's game. Why say anything? It's a good question. It's a very good question. And it's uh, it's interesting that Girardi said that because I remember early in his tenure, he didn't really get along very well with the media because he had a reputation as someone who never wanted to say anything. Uh, and he would just kind of dissemble or or not volunteer any information when it came to injuries. And, and also, I think, when it came to who was available and who wasn't, he just kind of never wanted to say anything. And beat writers like people who tell them things. Um, but he's kind of uh, mellowed a bit, I guess, or been more open in the last few years. So uh, this is a good question. I, I guess um, maybe it's that it's, that it's Rivera and Robertson, uh, and not not say a, a lefty, a, a loogie type or something like a matchup guy. I mean, Rivera and Robertson kind of are going to. They're not matchup guys. They're not people you bring in to face certain hitters that the other manager would maybe make a different decision about pinch hitting or structure his lineup a different way. I mean, they're just kind of the the eighth and ninth inning guys, and they're effective against everyone so if they're not available and you know that they're not available what do you do differently i guess knowing knowing that ahead of time as as an opposing manager well you know that somebody else is going to be in those roles you might be able to surmise who now is the ninth inning guy you might uh you know you might play your matchups differently knowing that essentially um the you're gonna you're gonna have you know, you're probably going to have two shots at the soft part of the bullpen um, instead of just one. You know, you're, it's not just going to be the maybe the sixth and the seventh uh, where you're going to have prime scoring opportunities. You might have four innings. That it could, 
You could affect so it, you, I think. What would you do? Hold back a, a pinch hitter instead of using him in an early inning? Or, I mean, what? Uh, you, you might. I don't know. You might not play for one run in the sixth mm-hmm. if you know you're going to have shots in the eighth and ninth, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you might play if you're down. I don't know. I mean, you see managers who manage very differently if they're down one than if they're say up one or tied where if they're you know if they're down one they might go with their sixth reliever out of their bullpen a lot of times and you're like geez it's only a one-run game but you know they they do that Mm -hmm. and maybe if it's a one-run game and you know Rivera and and Robertson aren't in you treat it like a tie game there's you could imagine I mean whether there are sensible reasons to change your managing strategy against a a Mariano list team doesn't mean that that managers wouldn't change their strategy mm-hmm. against a Mariano list team? Yeah, uh, I guess, I mean, in general, it's it's probably best to keep the other team in the dark as much as possible about who's available and who's not, I would think. I, I guess, I mean, the only, the only advantage I can think of it for Girardi is just kind of giving, throwing the beat writers a bone and getting along better with them by being more open about things, but that obviously comes second to winning games. Um so I don't know. Yeah, I think that to some degree it's just that you, you know, you you want to basically get along with the people that you're around at any given moment mm-hmm. and if if you don't think that it matters and it, you know, you figure it probably doesn't, maybe it's easier just to to go ahead and say it. The other thing is that just because he says they're unavailable doesn't mean they're 100% unavailable. Mm-hmm. So there might be there might be some yeah, subterfuge be there. There's also um, the fact that the opposing manager is not an idiot, and he knows that uh, you know he knows exactly how many pitches each of those guys has thrown and, and how many days in a row they they've worked. He's likely to surmise uh, the same thing anyway, mm-hmm. um, and um, I, and you know, f- frankly, I think if if uh, if you don't say it, and it comes to the eighth inning, uh, and uh, you don't go to those guys, then you know there's a couple of innings where the fans are maybe second guessing you, um, where then at the end of the game you have to explain yourself, and it might look mm-hmm. it might look like you're just you know covering your tail by explaining why you didn't go to Robertson in a in a certain situation, mm-hmm. or you know why you didn't go to Rivera in a certain situation. Um, and if you've said it ahead of time, then you know you've you've cleared it. Uh, it's it's not something you're going to have to address in any sort of controversial way later. And uh, it also might be a thing that Rivera and, and Robertson want to know, although you, you could always you could always tell them. Um, but you know maybe if, maybe if you tell them it gets out anyway. So um, I think it, I think if it's I agree, I, I mean I, I feel like managers should feel no ethical or, or moral obligation uh, not only to tell the, to tell the truth but to n- not lie. I mean mm-hmm. I, I've I would feel perfectly fine with them going out of their way to lie. It's it's uh, it's part of the game. Um, uh, so uh, you know, I I would probably generally counsel a manager to to hold back more than they do, um, and some managers do. I mean, Mike Sosha sort of famously refuses to say who his opening day starter is going to be, um, even though a there's no possible way that 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 will matter. Mm-hmm. And B, it's obvious by the way he sets his spring training rotation who it's going to mm-hmm. be. Uh, but you know, you don't you don't ever want to get pinned down. Uh, to, well, I guess that's yeah. I guess that's a reason not to do it. Not to say that they're unavailable. I mean, the problem is that if they if he says that they're unavailable, uh, 
and it gets to a situation where he really wants to use them, is he is he then locked in? Because then, you know, maybe there's maybe there's only a two percent chance that you'll use either one of those guys. Um, but let's say it gets that two percent chance. Let's say it's the seventeenth inning, mm-hmm. uh, and you want to use one of those guys even just to get an out. Um, and three weeks later, he's got a sore arm. Right. Well, you've you've testified against yourself. You've you've uh, you know you've you've made it a, an issue that it doesn't need to be. So that's probably a good reason not to say yeah, anything. Yeah, that's a consideration. I, I I get the sense that baseball teams are maybe more open about availability and injuries than than teams in other sports. I, it's always dangerous well, when I football, start talking about other sports, but. Uh, I thought in football they I think in football someone someone correct us but I think in football like they have to say like that's what all that probable right, and, right. And, and all that mm-hmm. is I like I think that it's in the rules that you have to but you don't have I to think. do that until right before the game right or I yeah think, what I don't we, know what but, are we doing Ben what are we talking <laughs> I about? don't know I just remember that in in hockey I think when players get injured teams are just incredibly unspecific about what their injury is like they have to say what half of the body the injury is in or something or or at least some teams do this where it's like they'll say that a guy has an upper body injury and you don't know whether he has been decapitated or he has like a bruise on his shoulder or something like is this because they'll get targeted by by the other team i don't know i don't know whether it's just a whether that's the hockey tradition or the precedent or whatever it is i just remember reading about this um so i mean compared to that sort of thing i guess we're we're pretty fortunate in that we actually know in great detail what is going on with players injuries uh, even if we don't know as well as the teams do okay uh next question is from joe uh as always i'm skipping the, the the heapings of praise that come at the beginning of all of these questions and just I, I have no idea what question this I, is have I, I seen this question, question? Uh, he says I have a question that I've been pondering for some time I thought it might be an interesting topic for your show with the two extra inning marathon games this past weekend between Texas and Toronto and the Mets and the Marlins does a team ever consider giving up for the sake of the health and exhaustion of their players I know this question may seem crazy, but I was thinking that an early season game that extends too long could negatively impact a team for the next series, whether they win or lose. At what point would you consider this? 14th inning, 15th inning? I know sometimes position players are put into pitch, and I think that is an example of just giving up. Exhaustion leads to injury. Anyway, I was just curious about your perspective. It's a good question. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've thought this many times i've wondered whether a manager would consider it and i have to say that after many years of watching these games and wondering about it i don't feel like i'm very close to an answer um so what do you think uh well i mean i guess he's he's right that putting in a position player to some degree is is kind of giving up right i mean you could well, always totally giving up you yeah, could always but... put in a starter who whom you plan to start in the next few games or something just i mean that would give you a a higher probability of winning that one game probably than than your position player would i mean it's rare that that every single pitching option is is exhausted you just don't want to push a reliever farther than 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 you typically would or you don't want to use a starter or whatever it is but you you're kind of conceding when you put in that position player or you're saying that that we care more about the next few games or the rest of the season than this one game. Um, so, I mean, that's, yeah, well, it's not seen... forfeiting, but it's it's 
something in between forfeiting and, and going all out? We've seen a, a lot of these situations in the last two weeks or so. Um, the Padres recently used their next day starter in a game that went very long. Uh, the White Sox let their closer throw something like 60 pitches uh, in that 17 or 15 or whatever inning game against the Mariners. I think I think it was actually 16, which is kind of funny because I named all the numbers except 16. Um, and the Marlins-Mets game, I believe both used their next day starter for like seven innings apiece. Um, and so those are cases where you're clearly sacrificing um, – for the next day to try to win that game. And I, and I think in those cases, it's probably appropriate mm. um, because, um, you know, the, yes, okay, so Sean Markham pitches seven innings for the Mets in extra innings, and, you know, you're not necessarily going to win that game, so you're, you're uh, negatively impacting your chances the next day for a shot at that game, and I assume they probably called up somebody from AAA to make an emergency start or something like that. And um, the thing is, though, that you're not necessarily going to win the next day either. Like, just because you save Sean Markham doesn't necessarily... I mean, what are the, what? are how much better does Sean Markham uh, give you a chance the next day over a AAA starter? It's probably like, I don't know, like a 10% chance or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know very well that each inning that you're playing in extra innings is maximum leverage. Mm-hmm. You're... Your whole point, the whole point of managing, I, I think, basically, is to get um, as much of your your good stuff in the high leverage situations as possible, and you know save your bad stuff for the low leverage situations. So when it gets to the 14th inning, it's the most high leverage you can be. Uh, every inning is potentially an entire win all by itself, and so I think you do have to basically you know manage your guts out uh, to try to win that game. Now. The Addison Reed example is a bit trickier, and I think it goes to the question of whether you risk injury over mm-hmm. um, an extra inning game. And I guess we talked about this in that Angels A's game when like three guys got mm-hmm. hurt, uh, and we were wondering whether those long extra inning games put everybody at risk. But certainly, I I, th- I would think that you would want to be very careful about exposing any pitcher to something that he's never done before. And I probably wouldn't have let Addison. I, I'm certain. I, I'm certain I wouldn't have let Addison Reed throw the third inning, even though they won the game and Addison Reed got the win. Uh, to me, letting your closer throw 55 or 60 pitches uh, is probably irresponsible and, and mm-hmm. shouldn't be done. Um, of course, the White Sox seem to know how to keep their pitchers healthy. They do, and you know, it's not like I know what makes pitchers get hurt. But you know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't throw the previous day's starter. Um, I mean, you have to draw the line somewhere. And I would say that anything that I thought was likely to cause injury, I wouldn't do for for one win, unless it was the postseason or I hated the guy. <laughs> uh, what if? Well, okay, yeah, I guess that. What if it was the the last guy in your bullpen? Uh, somehow he had so, pitched four days in a row, but he's he's a replacement level reliever. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd let him go as long as he had as long as he had something to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I probably would let him go. Um, you know, I, I I mean, you're assuming that that guy wants to pitch, right? If if that guy is twenty, then maybe I don't do it because he's got a lot ahead of him. Um, but if it's Miguel Batista. And, you know, my guess is that Miguel Batista 
really wants the opportunity to do something stupidly heroic, yes. even if it, even if it, you know, puts him at risk. Because um, this guy in the bullpen always does, I would think, to distinguish yeah, probably, himself, and and players generally just want to play whenever possible. Yeah, so I wouldn't be as concerned about that guy, and it sounds selfish to say I would sacrifice the last arm in my in my bullpen, but I don't think it's a. I think it's a. I think it's a, it's a two. It's a it's a it's a two way street. I think that guy wants to be. Um, that's part of the deal. When you're when you sign on uh, as the 25th guy on a team, I think part of the deal is that you're essentially saying, uh, "Use me however you want," because I know that's that's my value to you. Mm-hmm. If that guy said. Uh, when the contract was offered to him, and by the way, I'll never throw more than 30 pitches because my elbow's too precious. I don't think he'd get that contract. And so it's sort of an implicit agreement. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay. Um, we have... Wait, 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 oh. wait. Though, one question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we haven't talked about is a hypothetical where uh, the catcher, the second string catcher, gets injured in the 17th mm-hmm. inning. And you need to put somebody behind the plate do you put somebody who's never caught a major league game behind the plate to catch a major league pitcher in extra innings uh i guess it's sort of the same thing if it's the last guy on your bench and maybe maybe some sort of utility guy who hasn't gotten into the game yet and is not really that much better than than the next best available utility guy you could get i i guess i mean you could kind of look at that as part of the the contract of being a utility guy whose only value and reason for having a roster spot is that he's able to play a, a lot of positions adequately. Uh, and maybe that's sort of understood also that he would be a, an emergency, emergency catcher. Um, what if it's, yeah, what if it's not the utility? Yeah, guy? I, I I mean, there's a pretty good chance that guy's been used already. What if it's the 25th pitcher or the, you know, the last pitcher in the bullpen yeah. uh, that needs to go I wonder if the that's more or less a concession than putting in a position player to pitch. Uh, I mean, catching right. is almost as specialized a position as pitcher, and putting a pitcher behind the plate, I would assume, would be very ugly very quickly. Um, but what do you do? I mean, you you, you don't forfeit. Yeah, you can't. I don't think you. I don't think you can forfeit really under any circumstances, right? I mean, the just the PR fallout of forfeiting. I so don't think you what can do persuade you persuade your fans that it was discretion was the better part of valor or forfeiting was? Uh, so you kind of so have you, to do something. You put a guy back there and tell your pitcher to throw nothing but you know the straightest fastballs he can. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, obviously there's still a risk of injury, um, just getting foul tipped or run over or something. I mean, you you tell the guy not to not to block the plate, not to do anything super heroic, and just try to catch the ball. Um, I guess I would do that. I mean, I don't know. It's like, what if the only available remaining guy is, is your young ace who you just signed to a eight year extension or something? Then well, you put that guy, you put that guy at first. Yeah, right. You, you can always do that, right? You can always, you can always put a, a pitcher in the field and move a position player. And I guess that would always be preferable probably. It's really disappointing that we've gone through this incredible run of 19 inning games and and 17 inning games and we have not even sniffed that yet yes that is sad i would say that of all the i mean it's been a pretty good month for weird baseball Mm -hmm. but it's been i I think it's been uh 
a large quantity of low ceiling weirdness. It it hasn't been the weirdest stuff. The the Seeger Grand Slam game probably qualifies as, as super duper weird. Next Marlins was but, was weird. Uh, I mean, just just slowly going eight or whatever, and Markham going seven. But I mean, that in itself is weird. But it kind of limited the amount of other weirdness that yeah, could happen. Yeah, exactly. It's been it's been a lot of nice, good weirdness, but but. Really, other than the Seeger game, I wouldn't say anything that was like super duper 20 years from now remembering it weirdness. Yeah. I would think. I, that's how I feel about I it. The, yeah. Mitch Moreland throwing knuckleball or knuckleballs was cool. Or was oh, that, David Murphy? David, David, Murphy, David Murphy. You're right. You're right. I missed that. Um, I missed that. And so you're right. That was very. Wait, no, that was a blowout. Yeah. That was not. That wasn't the extra inning game. No. Yeah, you're right. Well,. That doesn't count. <laughs> okay. That's, that's not what we're talking about. Thing. All right. That's just bad baseball. That's just fun, bad baseball. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. This question is from George. He says, The following appeared June 10th in the Tampa Tribune's game story on the Rays' loss to the Orioles the day before. Uh, and then he quotes, Moore checked the video, Matt Moore checked the video of the hits he allowed between innings and noticed that he was throwing the type of pitches deep in the count that he should have thrown on the first pitch. Or he was throwing fastballs when he had two strikes and the hitter was trying to protect the plate rather than making him chase an off-speed or breaking pitch outside the zone. And then Moore says, they did a very good job of making me pay for those mistakes, especially late in the count. Those are when your pitches are supposed to be good, especially when I'm ahead in the count. Moore allowed six of his 12 hits after getting two strikes on the batter. Six of those 12 hits came off change-ups and three off curveballs and excerpt. And then George says, my question is, how much of this is the responsibility of the catcher, especially an experienced one like Jose Molina, who is in that game? I know the pitcher has the ultimate call on what he throws, but how is it possible for this to go on again and again and the catcher or the pitching coach not step up, especially with a young pitcher? That's a weird thing to notice on video. Like that That's like noticing on video that you intentionally walked <laughs> the, the bad hitter to face the good mm-hmm. hitter. Like that seems like just something you wouldn't need video for. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, the, I, I, you know, I didn't read the Tampa Tribune game story, and so I'm trusting that that all the important context is here. But yeah, this feels like a weird thing for a pitcher to say. It feels sort of like I, I'm not saying that Matt Moore meant it this way, but it reads as like passive aggressive criticism of his catcher slash pitching coach because mm-hmm. this is the sort of stuff that gets talked about in the pregame meeting, the pre-series meetings between the pitchers and the pitching coach and the catchers. Uh, and certainly there's dialogue between catcher and pitcher uh, throughout the game. And certainly uh, with a young pitcher and a veteran catcher, you would expect uh, a much larger portion of the game calling to be directed by the catcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he certainly knows the batters a lot better. And, you know, he's supposed to, especially if his last name is Molina, mm-hmm. Um, you would think there'd be a lot of deference there. And so in a way, more one way or another, this doesn't read well for more. It either reads that he was being passive aggressive in these quotes or that he was maybe somehow being petulant on the mound and not, not listening to Molina or ignoring Molina. And like, I'm not saying that more was either of those things. I'm saying that the article mm-hmm. comes across that way. Though. Or it could reflect negatively on Molina if he just wasn't saying anything. Yeah, or, or it is... could reflect negatively on Molina. But even if it reflects negatively on Molina, then it's more blaming Molina, mm-hmm. right? 
Either Moore well, is blaming yeah, Molina. I guess so. Unless he's he's just trying to be accountable for his own mistakes and his his bad judgment, yeah, and, and we're fair, just reading yeah. into it. Well, we're definitely reading into yeah. it, and that's why I say I don't know that it's fair for me to read into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't... Uh, you know, every relationship is different, and so I've never had a real good read on like how to tell whether it's the pitcher or the catcher mm-hmm. who's doing the calling. But, you know, they, the, the implication is usually that the, 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 the uh, older the pitcher and the younger the catcher, the more the balance shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like a very weird thing to have going on because uh, certainly Molina knows. I mean, this is not advanced stuff that he's talking right. about throwing. I wonder. I mean, forget about like this is Molina. like Molina. How this do you is like the, get to the major leagues? Right. This is the sort of thing that my mom might notice <laughs> right. on the video. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so that's um, hi, strange mom. in itself. Just... Sorry. Sorry about that, mom. <laughs> um, yeah. How do, how do you get to be Matt Moore, major league pitcher, and not have this? dawn on you i guess i don't know if you're in some sort of competitive zone and you you lose the ability to think because you're so focused on on throwing your pitch or something i mean yeah that it's not a great reflection on him either way but i mean the, the thing about the in defense of molina if we assume that this is true and that we're reading this all correctly in defense of molina your ultimate goal as a catcher is not really to call the right pitch for the situation it's to call the pitch that your pitcher is going to be able to execute. Yes, that's true. You have to you have to know whether your pitcher is going to be able to throw the pitch you ask for. And if you call the perfect pitch in the perfect location, but he's not capable of executing it, you've failed as a catcher. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's I think where we misread what pit, what catchers are doing. the The situation comes second, the hitter comes third. The first thing is what's the pitcher going to throw best. Mm-hmm. And um, if more was you know, even if even if Moore wasn't sort of fighting, if his, you know, if he if he didn't have full buy-in, and Molina therefore had to sort of go with what Moore was was shaking to or seemed to be most comfortable with, um, then you know he's sort of stuck in that in that position. Um, so in, this might be a case where it's simply a matter of Moore not being able to execute all his pitches or not being able to execute the right pitches at the right time. Um, and in that case, I don't know how having a better game plan is going to help. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is pretty simple stuff. This is maybe not the best case to even have this conversation on because there's, it almost doesn't make sense. The, the details don't quite add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, we're done answering questions. Did you want to mention that no-catcher thing? Oh, yeah, somebody asked uh, why you have to, if, if some team could just take their catcher and put him in a position and so you could have an extra position player and just, just uh, the best part of that email was the phrase use the umpire as a target <laughs> uh, but uh, this is a very easy one to answer quickly the catcher must uh, be in the catcher's box it's in the rules mm-hmm. uh, you you may not um, you may not go uh, experimenting with this if you're a major league team there's a catcher's box you can see it it's in chalk and he has to stand in it so anytime you see chalk in baseball you can assume that your creativity is limited. Yeah, generally, generally a good idea to have a catcher, even if even if the rules didn't specifically say that you had to have one. Probably not something umpires would would take kindly to being used as targets. Um, okay, we're done. We had uh, one question that we didn't get a chance to answer from Luis in Guatemala. 
so I'm not going to read the question at least this week. Maybe we'll get to it in the future. But he ended his email with, I'll rate and review you on iTunes next time you ask. <laughs> so he, he wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to do it then. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to make us work for it. He's going to make us beg a little bit. Uh, awesome. so, so Luis, <laughs> consider this the next time that we ask. Uh, for ratings and reviews on iTunes. Thanks, Luis. Yes. <laughs> now we, we assume Luis will rate and review us now, and we appreciate it if uh, anyone else who listens and has not yet done so would, would do that. This, this is a good question, too. We should we should star it and get to it yeah, next we week because it's a good question. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, so right. send us more questions for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. We will be back tomorrow. <laughs>